Neo Before Blog presents Neo Before Pod. Hello listeners, Clay Lyford was kind enough to give up some of his time to talk to me for a little while. Clay is the director of the recent film Slash, one of my favourites from this year's Edinburgh International Film Festival. You may have also caught it at this year's San Diego Comic Con. He had a lot to share about his time as a filmmaker and I hope you enjoy. Hi Clay, thanks for joining me here. Hi, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So how are things wherever it is you are? Things are great. Uh, we've been traveling a lot, around a lot with movies, so I just got home for a few days uh, before we head to Comic-Con in San Diego and uh, on Wednesday. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, it'll be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Comic-Con's always a, a hub of activity for news and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd say in the least, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I guess first just... Tell us a little bit about yourself, what are your interests, and how did you get into filmmaking in the first place? Yeah, you know, I've uh, I've been making movies for a long time now. I, I went to film school at uh, University of Texas in the late 90s, and uh, I've been making them ever since. You know, I just always wanted to, to tell stories, I guess, and, uh, you know, um, I think this the visual medium has always kind of it's what I grew up with. It's just kind of like what I've always been surrounded by and what kind of, you know, just, I just nat- naturally gravitated towards. But, uh, yeah, so Slash is my fourth feature. I made uh, three others before, and they've all been around the block and the festival thing and have had some form of distribution. Uh, I made a feature called Wuss back in 2012, and I, which is also a high school comedy, and uh, made a science fiction movie before that called Earthling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a long time ago, I made a horror anthology comedy called uh, A Four Course Meal. But on top of that, I've been shooting other people's movies for forever. I've shot now, I think, about 25 features. I mean, they're all low-budget movies, but I've shot for, you know, the Zellner Brothers. I've shot for David Lowry. I've shot for uh, Johnny Lasecki. Uh, kind of like a who's who of a lot of indie filmmakers in America. Cool. So, yeah, so it seems like you've had a, a lot of support and building yourself up to to do what you want. So that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all kind of we all kind of big each other up. You know, I teach film too now. I actually teach at at, at the same school I went. I went. I teach at UT, and uh, um, you know, I, I've always said, you know, it's like you know, it's not a you know, it's not a competition. I feel like we all help each other out so much. It's you know. There's only you know five lifeboats on the Titanic, and we're all trying to get onto. You know, it's there's always going to be a need for for media. There's always going to be this work. So once you get that kind of competition mentality out of your head, and you just help each other out, you know, you can create create a, create a great community of uh, of peers. Yeah, especially if you're flying under the the big studio system. Sort of oh yeah, yeah, you can um, find a lot more people that are less competitive, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're touring with, with Slash at the moment, and I saw it at the Edinburgh Film Festival, and I loved it, as my review said. Uh, so how did the, the idea of that come about, and how did you go about putting it all together? Um, so it's kind of been something that's on my radar, on my periphery for a long time. I mean, since I was a kid, because I was a convention kid, my dad would, you know, drop me off at comic and book conventions with, like, you know, 20 bucks in my pocket and let me kind of wander for the day. Yeah. And you know, you go, you know, and this is kind of the old school, like, this isn't like San Diego Comic Con, which is a huge thing. I'm talking about like this old school, like, you know, musky, you know, hotels, you know, um, the kind of, uh, 
kind of old dank you know hotels that have like you know comics in the basement or whatever but there would always be like this like you know there'd always be like a um like an 18 up room and i was always be like what's going on in that room and it wasn't until much later that i would discover that some of it you know was just you know you know adult japanese animation but a lot of it was also you know this adult fandom community uh so that was just something that was always kind of in the back of my mind and then later on years later when i was kind of finishing my my run of doing high school movies i realized i wanted to make one more movie you know kind of from the perspective of um from the perspective of uh kids because all my my high school movies up to this point were kind of from the perspective of adults mm-hmm. and uh so yeah i uh, um i was thinking well you know what was what was i alienated for when i was in school what was i kind of what I have problems with, and for me it was, you know, just being like a Star Trek nerd was enough to kind of get you alienated. But nowadays it's like everyone, you know, it's like frat frat dudes watch Star Trek because of J.J. Abrams. It's like, no, whatever. It's not even, it's not marginalized anymore. Everything has been so co-opted by the mainstream. There's not, not really much left. Um, so I had to kind of dig deep and really kind of go to the margins to find something that metaphorically worked still about, you know, something that's a small, you know, misunderstood community or not small, but, you know, relatively small misunderstood community, and then I was like, oh, yeah, there's this, you know, fandom community, uh, the erotic fandom community is, like, very misunderstood, and still, to some to some minor degree, it's considered a little taboo, uh, so it kind of just narratively met my purposes really well, and it's also a group that I'm very sympathetic towards, because, again, when I was younger, the things that I the type of fandom I was into uh, has kind of the same stigma that that erotic fandom has now. Yeah. So, yeah, my idea of, like, you know, not having your geographical, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have wheels, you know, your friends, your geographically desirable friends, not always the people you have the most in common with. And especially if, you're, if your interests lie outside the mainstream, so sometimes it's hard to make friends. But, you know, if you like that, you know, when I was a kid pre-internet, like the pre, you know, you know, the pen and paper style, you know, fan clubs, I mean, that's how I made a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. And you kind of build this sense of community that breaks down the bad barriers, you know, the U.S. mail kind of broke down the barriers of geography for friendships and now the internet it's like you know obviously a million times that yeah it's, it's interesting the film how the the neil character he has access to the internet but he doesn't really know about that community you know so he is he's sort of stuck in the past even though he's living in the present i mean yeah was that, was that some you, you said about uh pre-internet sort of was that how you tried to modernize that idea of isolation even though there doesn't need to be any yeah, I think to some degree he. I feel like Neil would have heard that those type things exist, but he would never have been brave enough to look it up. He needed something to kind of push him over the edge to, to like actually do a web search. He's the type of kid I think that would be less. I think it's less that he's unaware that this stuff exists. I think it's more that like he thinks that he automatically he types into a search browser. Someone will know. You know, someone of authority will know that he did that. You know, mm. he's he's easily spooked by the idea of public information. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know. I, I would you know, I'm sure that he would have heard of uh, that there were websites for erotic fan fiction, much in the way that he was writing it. But I think he would be very reticent to even look it up. And then took literally the prodding and took it having a mission kind of given to him. We always called it the mission. He was given a mission, Julia, uh, narratively in, in in the movie to like basically do this thing, and that was kind of finally kind of pushed him out of his comfort zone. 
So, uh, yeah, it's clear you know your way around the idea of fandoms and, and how that helps define people. So yeah. are, you a, are you a member of several fandoms? You already mentioned Star Trek, but what other ones and, you know, how did they kind of inspire the the fictitious fandoms you put in this film? Also the real ones. Yeah, um, you know, uh, when uh, when I was a kid, I was into some stuff. I was very into, uh, I, there was a comic book series called ElfQuest, and I was actually part of the ElfQuest fan club, and I would uh, I had pen pals there, and um, that was a particularly that was a particularly uh, nerdy one for me to be involved in, and it was also you know living in Texas too. It's also not the most masculine either, so it was something that would I would be very I would have been mortified if people had known, you know, that I was um, partaking in, but. Um, that was uh that was one i mean i was always you know i i was a part of a lot of like you know famous monsters and just a lot of fandom when it comes to like horror movies as well um <clears throat> but yeah i mean as far as like active participation in fan clubs there's like it was like only a handful but um but i you know i would go to conventions i was you know it was a big you know just always kind of on the on the fringes i was always afraid kind of like neil to be more out there with my uh out there with my uh my uh interests yeah it's it's definitely um moved on a lot i mean i remember when i was younger into things that not everyone else was into and then it would be i wouldn't know that anybody else was out there because there was no such thing as the internet it's interesting to see that isolation put up on screen like that so i think you absolutely nailed the the way that neil feels like he's um, alone because everyone else at school sort of picks on him and interests. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, there was a lot of it that was also uh, a lot of it was you know the idea that he wouldn't be like picked on by you know like the football players because those in reality like somebody his social strata would never be picked on by somebody like that they don't even know where you know barely where he even exists mm-hmm. it was more the idea like somebody just barely half a strata above him would be the person that would be the problem you know yeah. like some nerdy theater kid who maybe just sli- ever so slightly cooler you know <laughs> yeah so um i mean the perception of that subculture was really important clearly really important to you throughout the film it was you know it was represented to being the normal thing where everything else was abnormal or at least that's the way I saw it um, do you think representation's important in cinema and do you think there should be more of it oh absolutely yeah really oh my god yeah I mean like it's you know beyond just the fact that audiences are actually asking for this now I mean it's people want to see themselves representative represented you know in media uh, I mean that's what that's the basis of slash fiction I mean the slash fiction is basically people who are not represented and it's why it's largely driven by women and to some degree minorities um it's because it's about fostering relationships that are outside of the heteronormative or are taking relationships that you notice don't see in mainstream media and presenting them that means that people want that you know if there's always an audience or there's always an audience for i guess i don't want to say counter programming but you know representation is highly important i mean like you know we you know 
we uh, yeah, like we're not you know there's not just one you know there's not just one standard anymore we've we're you know it's 2016 things have changed so much yeah. and there never was but but now it's like it's more vocal but we're we're definitely at a point where i think that it's like it's time for the norms to uh the representative norms to change you know yeah everything's normal until it or everything's abnormal until it's normal kind of thing you know and it does seem to be moving towards that yeah, and it's strange. It's kind of you know, it's kind of fitting in a weird way that like Star Trek, which is the where the term slash fiction came from, uh, with Star Trek fandom specifically. You know, Star Trek itself was you know was from the first interracial TV kiss was uh, on you know North American television was on Star Trek. You know, there it, it was always you know, and it, and it showed a future where you know you had people from all different cultures working together. You had, you know, a Russian in, on the bridge of the Enterprise in the middle of the Cold War, you know? Mm. Stuff like that, you know? it's It was always kind of ahead of its time, or definitely ahead of its time, and it's it's kind of fitting that that's kind of where modern slash fiction had its orig- originations, you know? Yeah, and I'm guessing your uh, fictitious science fiction franchise in the film was slightly based on Star Trek, Less that it actually more um, there. I was just looking for something because originally in the short film we used Harry Potter because it was mm-hmm. a short film. You know, we didn't have to worry about making money; it was never a thing. So when we did the feature, I was looking for something that kind of like was more like a solo kind of guy out there doing his thing. And there was this book series I really loved when I was a kid in the eighties called. Uh, it was about this character named Retief by a guy named Keith Lymer, I can never say his name. Um, and it was like, he was like an interstellar uh, mer- uh, diplomat and he would go, and but he'd end up just killing everyone instead of like, you know, using diplomacy. So I thought about an interstellar bounty hunter and instead of bounty hunting, he just like ended up having sex with everything. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, I mean, the idea was the kernel, I wouldn't say it's based on that series, but that was just kind of like a kernel that I always um, a kernel I always kind of went back to for like this like an inspiration point that's where the inspirato was cool uh, in terms of your actors uh, you found some really good actors for it were they who you had in mind or was there some kind of searching involved or was it a mix of the two I mean I'm at the age where I don't know any kid act. I don't know any actors you know under the age of 20 you know like I'm I'm not going to be a good repository for like oh we should get this guy you know so the very very first decision we made on the movie was to hire a great casting director because we knew that would be necessary and we did we hired this guy uh, JC Cantu and he's amazing he did so much great work he I mean but the guy and like I could I can't even believe we got JC he's so out of our league he casts for Soderbergh he's cast for Rodriguez like big guys um but you know he the good thing is he liked the script and by him sending you the script there's a certain cachet that goes along with that so you know people took it seriously so everyone who came in to read everyone who considered it was somebody I'd heard of or recognized from someplace and they're all amazing but I also had a very specific type in mind, and it's one of those types that it was one of those like kind of, I won't know until I see it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just got really lucky with finding the right actors with the right set, uh, right chemistry, and they all and it all kind of worked out. Then JC found both Hannah and Michael Johnson, and 
they were so perfect. I mean, I mean, when you when you're looking for a very particular type, and, and I'm like one of those frustrating directors where it's like, I don't necessarily know what I want. I just know what I don't want, you know. And and but when you and then you start to question yourself after a while, and you see so many great actors, and you start questioning yourself because like every one of these actors is great. I didn't see a single bad actor because JC only brought in the cream of the crop, and it's get to the point where it's like. Oh, everyone of these people is amazing, but none of them feels right. And then suddenly you see Hannah and Michael, and it's just like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not crazy because I was starting to doubt myself. And then towards the end of the process, I saw both of them like almost like a one-two punch, and uh, and I in a completely just justified all my <laughs> all my self-doubt and weird feelings about like thinking I was nuts for you know not you know for, for for dragging the search on for so long but yeah it took a while it took about six months to find them hmm. the, the convention uh part of the film um obviously it's a big part of the film was it a real convention you were filming out or did you sort of create it yourself with extras well, that, and all that stuff yeah yeah the convention and i'm glad that people always ask me that because i was always terrified that um i was always terrified that uh people might see through our ruse but really the convention is an amalgam of five different places it's um it's a combination it's uh it's two real conventions and then three phony locations that we put together so we had like so we shot it in houston this place called comic palooza which was uh, a pretty, where you saw most of the wide shots of the film. Mm-hmm. We also shot at this place in Austin called Wizard World Austin, and that was a for some of the B roll. And then we shot at like a ho- two different hotels in a movie theater that we dressed similarly. Um, and it's a testament to my art department that they were able to pull it off, and no one's ever questioned that it's real. In fact, it's yeah, and it's such a perfect combination. It's such a seamless thing. And sometimes it's, I even forget what scenes took place where, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely convincing based on conventions I've been to. It does look, it looks very real. So, um, yeah, I was interested to find out if it was actually a real convention or not. So, um, that was yeah, the biggest. Well leap done. Of faith. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was our biggest leap of faith. And we actually built the entire production schedule around Comic Palooza because we knew we needed some of those scenes with our actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was so we kind of worked backwards from that. So the very first stuff we shot for the movie entirely with just Michael and Hannah were scenes of them walking around the convention meeting and having some dialogue scenes there in like the food court thing where they're sitting and eating, eating their uh, uh, pizza dogs. And did which, anyone uh, question what you were doing on the day um, you were filming at these things? We, no, that's the thing. We we you know, we had full permission to be there, so there's nothing. Nobody from the staff hassled us, but we were always nervous that like people would like look in the camera or you know they would question us. But the ubiquity of like YouTube videos being shot from Comic Con now is so much that like all we did was just we we were smart. We like my director of photography. She was smart. She decided to take everything off the camera that looked like a can that looked like a movie camera like the matte box and the rails and things that scream movie camera so we had it down to its bare essentials like the really good lens and like the camera body but we still used our really good tripod and our slider and our dolly stuff um because we wanted it to look like the rest of the movie but on top of that we didn't have a whole lot of lights we had like two lights and they were pretty much like interview style lights uh 
And so, yeah, we kind of just looked like a kind of a big budget YouTube video, you know, <laughs> that people didn't really care. And because essentially cause we're filming two kids essentially in cosplay. So, again, like, oh, they're probably just shooting these, you know, kids for a cosplay TV show or whatever. But, yeah, I, I, I thought we'd go end up going through all the raw footage and finding tons of shots of people looking at the camera. But I think there's only one time ever I had to, like, make an editorial change because somebody clearly looked in the camera out of hundreds of shots so yeah thanks thanks to the modern media culture uh we're kind of like nobody gives a crap about us anymore you can go you know probably film a murder in the middle of a comic con <laughs> no, 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 yeah as long as you have a camera on it yeah got it without if you did it without a camera you probably go, go to jail um yeah so what were your biggest sort of challenges when you were filming? Um, and You mentioned that the Comic-Con one was something you expected to be challenging and wasn't, but was there anything that, that was difficult? You know, we had a very tight schedule, That's as you always do in films of this budget. It was still the largest schedule I ever had, the, largest, the most amount of days I ever had for a movie, but so I'd done three other movies that were even tighter but time is always your biggest challenge you know there's things that you want to do but you know I, I was really smart about this and, I, and again with my students I always say this it's like you have to be ruthless in pre-production with, with the scenes that you're going to cut because like look if you wrote a 120 page script and you're a comedy 30 of those pages are getting thrown away you're not your comedy any longer than 90 minutes at the end but here's the thing. It's like, yeah, you yes, you can figure it out on the editing room, but it makes so much more sense to figure it out before you shoot for several reasons. One, you save the money from having shot those scenes. But the bigger reason is, like, the amount of days you have to shoot a movie doesn't change. You have, you have a finite amount of days. If I have 20 days to make a movie and I have 15 extra scenes that are not going to make the final cut, I'm robbing important scenes of the time necessary to get them right by, you know, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul on these scenes that are going to get cut out, right? Mm-hmm. If I can identify things in advance that are not going to make the cut, then I can afford more time back to the things that are really important. There's a dinner scene in the movie, for instance, that everyone calls out as a favorite where they invite Julia's character over for dinner and she basically starts divulging way too much information to the family about her sex life and about Neil's writing and and it's always our kind of our showstopper well i just having the knowledge of dinner scenes in general is some of the hardest things to shoot we and the fact that how important that scene was and how well it didn't we test test readings of the script with actors uh for for audiences um we knew we wanted to give that scene a lot and we gave that an entire day just for that scene which is kind of unheard of in a low budget film i mean like doing a scene in a day is like my 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 low my my ten years ago my ten year ago low budget brain was get twitchy thinking about that, but it was worth it absolutely worth it. Cool. Uh, challenges, you know, I this is what was one of the I had the the best crew and like I'm not just saying that like the really the best crew and the best cast everyone was lovely and so talented and so professional and like they brought so much to the table really the biggest challenge for me in the entire movie and this is straight up honestly was like discovering this in pre-production when I had the cast in front of me finally and having the crew in front of me and seeing how much they were bringing in and how much work they were doing my biggest challenge was rising up to to that level so I was as prepared as they were and that's the honest truth I mean not the least of which is Hannah who is the most prepared actor I've ever worked with in my life Hannah Marks 
he is does so much homework she has so much behind her character that you are you have to rise up to meet that and i like that that's something that's amazing like i've never been in a situation before in my life where i had to rise up so much to meet the level of the people i I had hired to work with me uh and i that's a gift that i completely cherish and hope, hopefully that shows. And I do think that, you know, objectively, you know, whatever anybody feels at the movie, you can look at this in any of my other movies, and I think it's the best thing I've made. And I think that's a testament to that. Cool. Um, were, the, were the cast really sort of jokey and got along on set? Um, like, what was the most entertaining thing, anecdote you could think of for um, during the filming schedule? Oh, man. We had so many funny things happen. Uh, I was just... Uh, th- I'm only bringing this one up because it just came up to mind. So, Jesse Ennis, who plays um, who plays Martine, uh, we cast her very close to production. And uh, so, she kind of came in at the last minute and we had to fit her for... She's pregnant in the movie. We figured her with a pregnancy belly and uh, we just wanted to get to know each other. So, we decided to go to this bar to get... And she, oh, she's of age. She's not actually a high school kid. Um uh, <laughs> We went to a bar to get a drink, and we were just at the bar, and her huge. Pre- we left a pregnancy belly on, and uh, I had a few whiskeys, and and then the whole time the bartender's like looking at us, but doesn't say anything. And the end of the night, Hannah asked the bartender. She goes to the bartenders. She was like, "So at any point were you like wondering, uh, you know, what's going on here? Were you, were you worried about serving?" She's like, "I got two kids. I don't. I don't judge." <laughs> <laughs> it was just deadpan. I got two kids. I don't judge. It was great. Uh, that's this is a silly thing that just came to mind, but it was one of my favorite things. It was a kind of a bit of a tone setter for us. <laughs> that's a good anecdote for a, a panel at a Comic Con, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll wear the pregnancy belly. Um, <laughs> it would, uh, it would get you noticed. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, say we're making your part two. Uh, you mentioned your previous works, and when I was looking through IMDb prepping for this. Um, I'm really interested to see Earthling and Woos if I can ever get a hold of them one of these days because they sound like really interesting ideas. And um, Are they, you guys, it's on. They're they're both on, I believe on Amazon Prime. Uh, oh, right, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I know Woos is for sure, and I think Earthling still is. They're on iTunes as well. I don't mm-hmm. know how that works. If it's the same licenses or not, yeah, or if they're on the UK one, which could be awkward. I have a Vimeo too. If you just email me, I'll figure it out. Sure. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Um, so, how did this experience compare to your previous works? Obviously, you've been amassing experience since the um, since the previous films and uh, through. Yeah, um, you know, uh, this is the first time where every single, pretty much almost every single person in the cast for Slash was not like a, just a buddy of mine. They were all, you know people that we cast and they're work working actors uh again with the crew every single person was you know someone who was you know that's what they do for a living um i mean we've had that on the other ones too but not to the degree where it's like across the board right and we there's like you know in, in wuss we have cameos and we have supporting roles like tony hale from veep is in wuss and like you know um william cat the greatest american hero and peter green they're in uh, um earthling but like the degree to which everyone across the board was like somebody who was bringing in a, such a high level of game uh, that that was a huge difference. Um, also, having more time to do it right and really, really, really working with creative producers. I had a great team of producers, and we, we were constantly challenging each other to make improvements. 
and to not just run good enough. Like, good enough was never a good enough answer. Like, uh, all of us, I think, uh, can have a tendency to get lazy a little bit sometimes in our lives, and I, you know, and sometimes when you work your ass off on something, you always want to be like, "That's we're, we made it. We're there. You know, we're, this is good." But that was never that was never allowed like that was something that we wouldn't none of we all kind of checked each kept each other in check and uh, yeah it's a testament to my team that like if i was ever at the point where i was like okay this is really good i think we can move on they're like yeah but there might be something better still and that was from the writing of the script from scenes to the order of the edit i mean the edit it was really in the edit um Basically, I was at a, at a point where we worked really, really hard, intensively on the script. We had it, you know, we had multiple script reads, something I'd never done that many of before. And then I was it was pretty hands off on set. It was mostly just me and the crew and the cast. Then when we got in that editing room, we all kind of just tore it apart and tore it apart and tore it apart in a good way, and just found the movie again. You know, the dumb adage that you always hear: it's like you make a movie, you know, three times. You make it when you write it, you make it when you shoot it, and you make it when you edit it. Um, but it's totally true. Hmm. So yeah, um, what's what's next for for you? What's your next project, and what other things would you like to work on um, in the future? I yeah, I've I've got some uh, I've got some television things that are in s- various stages of development at a couple of uh, well-known television studios. Whether or not they'll happen, who knows. TV is a very strange animal. I don't pretend to understand how it works, but there's interest there. Um, there's even talk about um, doing Slash as a television show, which I find uh, I was initially reluctant to try, but then I've kind of like everything, and I figured out an angle that I like, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, I've got a couple other scripts, a couple other original scripts too. I've got a. Uh, a kind of like a buddy comedy murder mystery thing that I really want to do, which is something that's a little bit kind of tossed in the thriller genre a little bit, but it's still kind of, you know, a fun comedy at the same time. Again, something I haven't really, uh, that kind of, that kind of plays to my strengths, but it's still something that I haven't really done officially before. I like, I like trying new things. Um, so I'm in the middle of writing that and I'm pretty happy with how it's coming along. And, uh, yeah. And just, and a couple other things that are, you know, I'm pursuing. I got a couple of white whales I'm hunting right now, as it were. Projects that I would, uh, projects that I don't control that I would kill to get my my hands on, my grubby little on. So you know, my my management team were out there, we're out there with our spears, <laughs> trying to kill whales. So pretty, uh, quite a lot of decent stuff on the go then. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully so. Cool. Um, only really had one more question. It's the question that we ask ask everybody who interview. It's a uh, what superpower do you have and why? Because it's a very comic book influenced website I run, so uh, it's a good question to get, to get from everybody. The answer is either flying or invisibility, right? And those are the two answers. Mm-hmm. It's flying or invisibility. Yeah, people uh, say that a lot. Go with, uh, <laughs> time travel is superpower. All right, cool. Like hero. I feel like hero. I'm so. I feel <laughs> like my life is so steeped in nostalgia that uh, is I and plus I'm really obs- obsessed with uh, uh, Roman Macedonian history and uh, I would really love to be able to be a fly on the wall in some historical proceedings. I don't want to like fight in the you know, Roman civil wars or anything like that or <laughs> Carthage or anything like that but I, it would be amazing to be able to uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be amazing to be there 
be amazing to be able to see into the past. Is that a thing? With yeah. that. It's your superpower. <laughs> I can see anything in the past I want to see. How about that? That's, That's pretty one, cool. Yeah. yeah, well, um, I mean, thanks very much for, for taking your time. I can tell that there's yeah. some busyness going on in the background, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. It's, it's one, you know, when you're on the road and you're home for like a couple of days, kids be crazy. Kids be crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's been um, it's been great talking to you and I, I really enjoyed the film, uh, as you know. And uh, I hope it continues to, to gain more traction. I hope Comic-Con works out really well for you. Yeah, well, well we should have, I, I think I could say that we have a sales announcement that we can finally make at, at Comic-Con, and we'll be making that sale announcement as well. So the film is officially going to be out there. Uh, we, we, we know exactly the way it's coming out. We can't, I can't say that this is the exact moment, but this is a good way to say, if you go to at slash the movie on Twitter, or if you go to Facebook slash slash the movie, um, you can we are definitely gonna update it there. Plus there's things you can download. We have like exclusive like BitTorrent bundles with like music and clips and stuff like that that you can download and the links are all on our slash the movie dot com page or also through the Twitter or the Facebook everything is slash the movie no spaces. Cool. But um, yeah, I'll be sure to put all this in the show notes as well. So uh, yeah, I'll wonderful. do my homework and finding all that. Word. <laughs> but yeah, it's been Thank- it's been great and I hope everything's continues to go well and I'll look forward to your next project as well yeah I greatly appreciate it well thanks very much yeah thank you that was my interview with Clay Lyford thanks to him for taking the time to talk to me and if you enjoyed this feel free to subscribe on iTunes or any major podcasting app just search for Neil Before Pod or Neil Before Blog I hope you'll join us for the next Neil Before Pod interview segment